Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. We are back at it again this week continuing and concluding our Meaningful Membership series. Over the past few weeks, Ranjor and I have discussed membership processes and the importance of equipping church members. Today, we're going to shift gears slightly and really have a broader discussion on church membership. And to help me with this conversation, I will be joined with a very special guest, Dr. Dwayne Milioni. Uh, Dr. Milioni wears many hats He is the lead pastor of my church, Open Door Church of Raleigh. Dr. Milioni also serves on the preaching faculty here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And in addition to his pastoral responsibilities and his responsibilities at SEBITS, Dr. Milioni serves with the Pillar Network. I really feel like I need to take just a a quick break after listing all those responsibilities. But in all seriousness, brother, I'm so grateful to have you join today's conversation on the importance of church membership. Thanks, Brandon. I really appreciate all that you and Ranjou are doing to serve pastors. Absolutely. So I want to get this conversation started first by asking a really basic but a really important question. And, And that is what role do members play in a local church? When someone says they are a member of a local church, what is it that they're saying about themselves? Good question. More than what I think people realize. If we understand the local church as the visible expression of the universal church, if we understand the local church, as Paul wrote to Timothy, as God's household, and that we are family members of that household, as a visible expression of the body of Christ, then, then church membership is huge. We, we have received from the Reformers the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. We receive from Christ these beautiful images of, of the church as the bride, as the branches attached to the vine. Peter calls us living stones attached to this glorious building. There's, some, there, there's, there's such an importance that every individual in the church makes up and has. Now, especially for Baptist churches, we are congregational, which, which means that every member plays a significant role in, in, in serving, giving, uh, worshiping, but ultimately the, the authority or the final authority has been vested with the congregation. So I could go on and on, but, but membership matters extremely hmm. if you're going to have a healthy church that's attempting to fulfill all of the commands of Scripture. So what expectations should members have for one another? I know at Open Door, this is a question we, we recently asked, and we came up with, with six membership expectations, which are to gather regularly, to abide in Christ faithfully, to serve diligently, to love sacrificially, to give generously— and to live missionally. Are, are these expectations members should have towards one another? Yes. Yeah. You know, what we realized not too long ago is that we felt good about our mission and we felt good about the, the core values that drive us as a church. 
but we did not feel like we were equipping our members well enough to understand, first of all, what the Bible expects of them as a church member, and then what we as a local church would expect of them. So we decided to parse that out and even describe it adverbally. So there's this sense of application or duty that every member would have. So we, we hold our members to those six expectations, you know, from day one of membership until, you know, you conclude your membership. And we feel like this is going to not only help increase our equipping of our members, but, but give them sort of a, a, an overarching goal of what church membership is. Right. Something to hold each one another accountable to achieve that mission. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, the many one another statements in the New Testament epistles are for us. They're all for us. Right. So we right. don't, again, we, we don't segregate or separate the paid staff from the membership. When it comes to church membership, we're all equally members. You know, again, that concept is something we need to do a better job of, of training and equipping, but, but it's essential really for a congregationally run church. It's, it's really interesting because we're actually going through these, these six membership expectations in our small groups, our church. It, and, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but is it fair to say that pastors shouldn't expect members to know what's expected of them as members and that pastors need to spend time communicating to those members what the, those expectations are? Yeah, you know, we just had this discussion in the uh, colloquium here at Southeastern. Pastor Al Jackson was sharing about meaningful membership. And, and yes, every born-again believer who commits himself or herself to the local church should also commit himself or herself to fulfill all of the commands of scripture. And so what does that mean? Well, it means we've got to do a better job regulating who gets in. Mm. There, there has to be some intentional process uh, so that we know that those uh, who are joining our church are regenerate, willing to undergo believer's baptism, uh, willing to undergo the discipline of the church, willing to submit themselves to the pastors or the elders of the church, willing to fulfill all of the commands of scripture. Whether you're, you know, 13 years of age and a new believer or 50 years of age and a new believer— all the commands still apply. Right. Ronjour and I, a few weeks ago, discussed the importance of a, of a meaningful membership process. And I think that's a massive pro of having a membership process is being able to communicate in a, whether in the class or in an interview with one of the, the staff, uh, the expectations for members, what's going to be expected of members. And I believe not having that conversation, not doing, you know, the, the homework of who, who's coming into the body really hurts if you don't have that. And it's, it's shocking how many churches don't have that kind of process. The very first time I went through a process was at Open Door. You know, I, I back in Mississippi, most churches, you can walk in a visitor and walk out a member, <laughs> kind of like uh, I think Ronjour uh, likened it to a kind of a, a Las Vegas wedding. And very so I do believe it hurts not yeah. not having a process. Yeah, when I when I started Open Door again, it, it was a it was a younger church, a smaller church. And it was still working through its processes. But that was one of the things that, that was missing. 
And we were doing the traditional come forward at the end of the service. I want to join. Okay. I flip them around. Hey, this guy wants to join all in favor. Say aye. And, and I was enacting this sacred responsibility. First of all, on the church, the congregational is, is actually, you know, I, I agree with Jonathan Lehman on this. The church has the keys. Right. So, so I'm asking the ones who have the keys to the kingdom to, to introduce and approve someone into the church family, this local expression. We don't even know this person. And I felt awkward every time I did it until finally, again, we weren't structured with elders then, but I finally said at a, at a church meeting, I said, look, is it possible that, that, that I might be able to introduce a membership process so that when someone says they want to join and the point where I actually ask you to vote and approve their joining, that we would have something in between that I would at least know they're a Christian. Because as it right. stands now, if Antichrist himself came forward, I would flip him around and we would vote him into our church. A membership process really does make a massive difference. Uh, and if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that, that episode. There's some helpful tips on how to basically get a process going in a church that doesn't have one. So real quick, brother, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out some statements. And some of these statements might make you cringe a little bit. Uh, but I want you to tell me if the statement is true or false. So true or false, the absence of conflict indicates unity within the church. False. Okay, why, why would that be false? Every church will have conflict. Not every church will handle the conflict biblically, or not every church will have a ministry means to deal with conflict biblically. But every church is going to have conflict. Okay, We're so con- the absence of conflict is not a good measure of no. if the church is unified, no. right? That's it helpful. May, like, it, it may be a factor, but... It can't be the sole factor. No, well, I'm more concerned about how you deal with it than, 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 you know, hey, any pastor who went through 2020 knows that your church, healthy or not, we face conflict. We face conflict on multiple levels. And it was, how did we, how were we set up to endure that? Mm. And, And I think a lot of churches did well because they had already set their members up to know how to respond biblically to one another and to the leadership. Because look, we all had periods of confusion and doubt, and we don't know what to do. Do we do we, we obey the government here? Do we not? Do we how do we deal with these racial tensions? I mean, it was crazy. Well, it, it's not a matter of 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 if, it's a matter of when conflict comes. Mm. Is your church healthy enough to deal with it? True or false? Large amounts of giving in the church indicate that members are sold no pun intended, on the church's mission? False. Well, people give for all kinds of reasons, and some more legitimate than others. Now, I would say, uh, you know, David talks about it, it's, it's not necessarily the amount, but the sacrifice, right? So I would say that if your church uh, overall is not giving like the the majority of your members then you've got issues but churches all every church is different and there are some churches that are incredibly blessed financially but spiritually they're they're dead or dying right i, I was talking to a, a guy that i sent 
just a couple of years ago, and he's in a church revitalization, a lot of issues in his church, a lot of unhealth in his church. And he's one-tenth the size of my church, and his budget is the same. And actually, it's one of the biggest problems because the folks are so relaxed because they have so much money in their checking account that they're not fulfilling their commands. And some of that money is, is you know, it's just got strings attached. So it, it's not always... Plus, you can run into issues, I feel like, where people are giving financially, but they're not giving in other areas. And uh, they, they can become they, complacent in that because of the fact that they're yeah. giving financially. Kind of the older, older mentality of, you know, we give money so that the pastors can do the work. All right. Next one. True or false. The size of my church indicates how well we are doing evangelistically or through our church's outreach. Uh, false again. But so here's the thing, Brandon. I think one of the, the, the tensions that I experience often is how to make sure my church is growing numerically and growing spiritually because it can't be other, it can't be on either extreme. Right. Like I've got, I've got dear friends who would forsake evangelism for what they would say discipleship or basically sanctification. I mean, they want their church to be solid, theologically sound. They want every member to, to know doctrine. And I think all of that's wonderful, but they almost excuse the fact that they're not growing numerically or they're not being evangelistic or more evangelistic. And then of course, on the other extreme, it's growth, 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 growth. And, and I'm going to forsake uh, spiritual maturity for, for evangelism or outreach or whatever. And, and so we know this, let's avoid the extremes, but I'm telling you, it is challenging to do both. It is really challenging to, 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 to really desire this constant introduction of new believers, new people. Well, now they've got to become a part of your family, right? I have this, this thing that I do with our interns where I say, I want you to imagine the process of someone who walks through the doors of our church building and we greet them. They are a welcome guest. And, and, and they go from being a welcome guest to one of your pastors. What, think about that process from a welcome guest to a friend, to a fellow church member, to eventually mm -hmm. one of the leaders. And, and you kind of have to have that whole process in mind, honestly, for like every person who, who comes through the doors, because you never know how God is going to utilize them. But that's not easy. I mean, you've got to have some sort of mechanism to get them through a meaningful membership process, an equipping process, training process, give them room to begin to stretch their wings and lead. And, 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 and it has to be ongoing because you're constantly bringing people through that. Right. So those are just a few that I came up with. Now, I think we, we had all three false, but what are some, some other myths that you've heard or that you see concerning church membership? Church membership's not in the Bible. I've run across that one. Wow. On occasion. And, and that has, you know, caused some folks who have been visiting my church, you know, not to join. Uh, just to be honest, here's a, an ongoing, an ongoing issue that our, our dear friend that we love and respect, John Piper introduced years ago. And it seems to be something that keeps rearing its head is this concept of, of the, the door of the local church should be as wide as the door of, to the universal church. You know, in other words, why would you restrict any born again Christian to join your church, any regenerate Christian? 
uh, kind of a John Bunyan mentality. And we have to think though through reasons why it's necessary that our, our door is smaller and tighter. And I might just, you didn't ask, but I'll give you my, my opinion on that is, is because when someone is born again, they do go through the door, right? Jesus, they go through the door who is Jesus. And then they are at that moment united with the body of Christ. And that will be a forever relationship. But see, that's the beginning. That's not the ending. You mm. see, my, my role as a pastor is to take that regenerate member and then make a disciple out of that person, which by necessity, now my doctrine begins to sh- close in the door because I, 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 I believe things like, you know, baptism by immersion. And uh, I have a, a biblical understanding of, of church government. And, and so by necessity, as I'm equipping and training this member, you know, I get, I become more and more narrow. And so that's something that we have to deal with. I don't know. There's probably some others. Well, that's helpful. Let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about church discipline. So what role does church discipline play in promoting and maintaining health in a church among members? Well, it used to play a significant role. I mean, you know, just post-Reformation, we would hear things like church discipline is the third leg of the church. The church rests on, you know, this concept of, uh, <coughs> of Bible preaching, the celebration of the sacraments, and church discipline. I mean, there was a sense where church discipline was, was vital, and, and that it, it has all but gotten lost. Uh, now, not it's not interesting totally. that you say that it's gotten lost because I had never come across or ever seen church discipline ever take place until moving here. Yeah, and it was it was very it was interesting to see. Yeah, because I'd never yeah. seen it before. I never even heard it referenced well, before. So it, that's unfortunate, right? Because right. we've lost that significant aspect of church life and church health that's been handed down to us. But, but I understand it because if you don't have a serious emphasis on regenerate church membership and a meaningful membership process, how can you do church discipline? Yeah. If you allow a, a five-year-old to join your church, what are you supposed to do? How do you put a five-year-old under church discipline? Or the varied numbers of, 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 of people who are confessing Christ, but clearly they're not bearing fruit of repentance. How do you do it? And I think a lot of churches would look, even if, even if they're honest and say, I, I do believe church discipline is necessary, but I don't know how to do that. I, I would not even know how to begin to implement that in my church. And, and I felt that, you know, years ago where I'm at. And so Having a meaningful membership process, demanding regenerate church membership, giving solid instruction on what it means to be a a part of the body of Christ is necessary. And let me just just add, if if some pastors are thinking about how do I begin, I would highly advocate an application that people sign before they join. And somewhere on that application, it says, I submit myself to the leadership of the church and, if necessary, church discipline. Because I, I have had, on a very rare occasion, uh, a member that we were um, going through the church discipline process, and we were getting to the point where it was going to be public, and they threatened to sue. And then we 
we encourage them to go back and look at what they signed mm. and that actually stopped them from pursuing it. Uh, one, only one occasion in my entire ministry where a lawyer contacted me from a member that we were enacting discipline on and said, you know, I'm, I'm now representing this client, da, 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 da. And I said, okay, let me send you something very quickly. I sent him the signed application. Lawyer called me back and says, yes, he has no case. And, and, and so just maybe just a little help for pastors Mm. there, but, but I, I do think it's, I think it's absolutely necessary for the health of the body. And, right. and, and this, let me, let me just say that it begins with promoting healthy discipleship. We discipline ourselves on the godliness, but you have an opportunity to speak to it every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper, every mm. time. No, that, that's a really good point. I do want to actually ask a question off of that in a second, but I think it goes right back to what we were talking about earlier with that membership process. It's really hard for me to discipline my kid if I haven't made clear what I expect of my son, for example. Uh, and so pastors have to do a better job thinking through, again, the strategic, who, who, how, what's the process in place for people coming in? How good of a job are we doing with setting the expectation and communicating that expectation on a regular basis? Like, are you preaching this? Are you teaching this? And then a, a great point that I, I didn't even think about, the Lord's Supper. So what do you mean, just for, for those listening, that there's an opportunity every single time to restate it when the Lord's Supper is taking place? Paul is encouraging us in his letter to the church at Corinth to do an examination of ourselves. And that before that we would celebrate this incredible grace of God that's been given to us freely, our salvation, we would be responsible for that gift and that we would enact discipline upon ourselves. We would confess our sins, knowing God is good and faithful to forgive us. We would repent of our sins or we would abstain from the Lord's Supper because we understand that uh, in this moment, I am not living a repentant life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, and I need to work on that. So the, the Lord's Supper provides us the opportunity to begin the discipline process. It also, on those rare occasions, provides a strong picture of what it means to be removed from fellowship of the table. And, and you call it excommunication, but literally what you're just saying when someone who is in unrepentant sin and unwilling to hear the church, you at some point in time at the Lord's Supper table, you say, I, I, I regretfully, it's heartbreaking, but we must tell you at this point, this member is not allowed to join us at the table. Hmm. And it's a very sobering thing if you've ever experienced that. And it, it becomes a reminder of how serious the Lord's Supper is. And of course, it's something you never want to get to. No, I mean, obviously, the goal of church you. discipline is to to restore yes. the member, yeah. and and in doing so, the church would you know rejoice and be strengthened through it. But but absolutely. So let's switch a little bit again. I want to I want to talk about visitors because you know we've talked about a process. You mentioned earlier having a process in mind where you're you're taking somebody who all is is visiting the church and then all of a sudden kind of walking them through a process to where one day they might be actually pastoring the church. How can members love individuals visiting their church for the first time? I feel like it it can be easy for members to overlook new faces, to be distracted or whatever it is. 
why is it so important for members to demonstrate love and really be on the lookout for those new faces? Well, the Bible, third John, it's just a paragraph, but it's a, it's got some real depth to it. But there in third John at the end, John says to the church, greet one another. There's actually a command that we have to greet one another. He, he, he uses the word friends, greet the friends. So there's this, there's this necessity for anyone who comes into the household of God. You know, the law was huge on everyone who comes into the camp of Israel, foreigner, immigrant. You treat them like family. You, you give them the best. And the New Testament carries that perspective on with the concept of loving our neighbor. And so it, it, it's just Christian. It's Christ-like to do this, the way Christ loved sinners and, and everyone. Mm. So we've got the biblical man to do it. But I really think that this is something that has to be shown by the leadership. I mean, you know how important it is. For us, every time you, you come through the doors, that your pastors are there, one of the first ones to greet you. And you also know how we have a certain elder at our church who has this incredible ministry of memorizing every visitor's name, every visitor's child's name. And the next time they come, they will be greeted by name. And again, right. it's actually interesting that that is a biblical principle, that we, mm -hmm. that we, we greet each other by name. And so I think it has to be displayed. And then I think it can become contagious, not everybody, but it can become contagious. Yeah, it's just such a discouragement to have a visitor come through the doors and never once feel embraced by a yeah. congregation. Huge and I'm thing. sure you, I mean, you even shared stories with me in the past yeah. about how you've had visitors come up and say something like, you know, the preaching was good, but I just didn't feel embraced heartbreaking real quick uh want to throw this question out there i'm actually adding this question in because it's it's, a, it's something else you and i've discussed in the past uh and, and it's actually something since you and i've discussed i've i've heard from other pastors that have experienced this problem of visitors that have been coming for for weeks or months that are involved in some of the things that the church is doing such as like classes and outreach and things but they're not taking that next step to membership. What advice would you have to pastors who might be experiencing that, helping them to see the importance of becoming a member, taking that step? Probably the same advice I gave my daughter when she was dating guys and they weren't doing anything. They weren't taking any responsibility. I said, okay, baby, sometimes you gotta tell that dude to either fish or cut bait, you know, see if they'll move one way or the other. There is this thing that we call a Christian hitchhiker, Christian hitchhiker, where they find a church and they, they kind of get involved. Like they hop into their hitchhiking down the road and someone pulls over and picks them up and they're, they're driving down the road and, and they're having conversation and they're along for the ride. But at some point in time, it's time to pay for gas. And they're like, hey, thanks for the ride. And they hop out and then they look for another place to hitchhike a ride. So, yeah, they're, they're, unfortunately, we have some folks that I call Christian hitchhikers who kind of take that mentality. They're, 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 they're along for the ride for a while. But when it comes to the point where here's the word I like to use, take ownership, take ownership. They're just not 
committed to that. So two more questions. I want these to be short answers. We talked earlier about membership expectations, but if you could give maybe one word up to the three words max on what the end goal of every church member should be, what would it be? A made disciple. And I'm using that in the, in the past tense. Because I think we talk about discipleship like all the time. All the time we talk about discipleship. <laughs> I think that's good. But what, what I rarely hear people talk about is what is the end? What is a made? We talk about making disciples. What is a made disciple? And it, at my church, I have this conversation often with the elders. What's a made disciple? When, when, when would we say we have done our job? And I know that's ongoing in a sense, but unless you have in your mind what it looks like to have one made, I don't know how you get them there. So that's, that's, there's probably a better way to talk about that, but that's kind of the way I think about every member as I'm making disciples, I'm moving them towards being a made one. Now I know heaven will have to complete that, but at least on earth, we should be getting them there. Yeah. I kind of see it as like a glass of water, right? That's getting poured into Mm -hmm. by a source. And I kind of see the, the end goal not being really anything other than that water pouring into other glasses, right? Yeah, like so that. to me, it's the, the end goal is the reproduction of what just took place, right? So through other believers or through planting churches or whatever it is, that kind of being the end goal. Yeah, I like that. Uh, last question, how can pastors unify their church around this end goal? So if the end goal is a made disciple, how can pastors unified their church so that they're they're making made disciples uh holistically so the elders have to be involved they have to be showing it displaying it other leaders in the church doing the same we are preaching about it our small groups are emphasizing it we're talking about it in in children's sunday school i think it's got to be really dealt with at every level it is so imperative, right? This is the thing that Jesus said to do, make disciples. So I, I think it has to infiltrate nearly every aspect of the local church ministry. Well, that will do it for this week, brother. Thank you again for joining the conversation and sharing these insights. And I want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. 